Hi, everybody. What if I told you that today's guest is going to say that the most untapped resource on planet Earth is women? Now, after you hear what she has to see, you'll see why. And this is, in my opinion, truly a must-see program because we're not understanding at all what half of the world's population has to offer, number one of which is leadership. And we're, we need to find out why that's not being tapped, which is absolutely fascinating. So without further ado, we'll go to Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Welcome. Hi, Regina. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for this really important conversation we're going to have today. So let's start out with your field of specialty to begin with and explain because it's a long term what, what this means to everybody. Yes, the technical term for my title is neuropsychophysiologist, which is a really long tongue tying way of saying that I research and study the brain and the mind, which are two very different separate systems that interact together to determine human behavior. And what you were referring to is exactly right, which is a woman's neuropsychology is very different than a man's neuropsychology. However, the only really well represented in our scientific literature, neuropsychology and biological uh, biorhythm that is understood is the male biorhythm. And there's, there's some good reasons for that, but um, it doesn't make it fair for us ladies who are kind of left um, a little bit confused and misguided about our own bodies and how they function. So why is it that these uh, scientific studies generally take place only among groups of men? You said it is a little more complicated with women, yeah. but it's rejecting those effects for half of the population. So why is this to begin with? Yeah, so this all started since clinical research began, um, and I'm not sure what year that was, but ever since the dawn of research and modern science, women have been left out of clinical research because of a couple of reasons. One, they are risky research subjects because women can become pregnant at any time that is unknown. And so, of course, whatever research is being done, um, the scientists are very careful to not include any women who could potentially become pregnant at any time during the study, which is a majority of women. <laughs> um, and the other reason is that a woman's biochemistry, physiology, neurological function, and everything about a woman's biology changes significantly many times over the course of a month, which is the female biorhythm. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But because of these major physiological changes caused by our female hormones, our ovarian hormones, we are difficult research subjects. So if you can imagine being a scientist and you wanna study a subject, it makes it pretty difficult to study them when they are physiologically and biochemically changing all the time. So essentially they're, they're different research subjects each day. So that does make it difficult to do research on women. And I fully understand that as a researcher. However, we have to work around these issues because women are left out of the clinical research. 
This was actually solidified in 1977 when the FDA formally banned all women of childbearing potential from all clinical research. And surprisingly, this remained in effect until 1993. And even to this day, the damage has been done and women are still largely left out of the clinical research. And you have said this ends up having a devastated consequence on society at large, women specifically. Explain why that is. What, what, why does it matter that we're not being represented in all of these studies? It, the devastating effect is that half of our population is disempowered by not having a full understanding of how their biological systems operate and how to meet their very basic biological needs. Because women are lumped in with the findings of men in the clinical research. And so when we're looking at, you know, our, our textbooks in school, which as we know, are always outdated. They're about 30 years behind the research. But even so, looking at our textbooks, when we study biology, we don't get any specific education about a woman's biology and a woman's biological rhythm, which is much different than our male counterparts. The male biological rhythm is actually a 24-hour repeating system that repeats itself every day. And that's because a man's biology is set to the pace of the adrenal hormones. And so that's cortisol and melatonin, our wake and sleep hormones. Now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, as a woman, I have cortisol and melatonin. I have that same rhythm. It's true. However, our physiology, our biology does not follow the pace of that same rhythm. So men are consistently the same and have basically the same biological needs every day throughout the month, throughout the year. And the changes are very slow over long, long periods of time. For women, we change significantly in terms of what's going on with our biology and how our biology operates four different times throughout the course of a month because our biorhythm is actually set to the pace of our ovarian hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And these two key hormones fluctuate, ebb and flow significantly throughout the course of a month. And so for each of the four phases of the female hormone cycle, women are essentially a different person. Okay, so that's interesting because we've heard some rude comments from past presidents about why women should not be in power, for example. And mm. this is now starting to rub up against the empirical evidence that women are the natural leaders. Yes. Um, and this, so we need to look at how we unpack that and how we blend these two together in an effective way. Because right now, uh, I think you said in your stats, approximately 20% of the leadership roles in the United States are occupied by women, even though theoretically it, it should be at least equal, if not flipped, because yes. of our innate brain's capability. So let's talk about that. You have women who are going through cycles and are different people, but we're also equipped, hardwired to lead. How do you work that out? 
Yes. So this is so exciting. And when I get to talk to women about their leadership abilities, it's so fun to watch the light bulb turn on and their eyes light up because they realize that this is so true for them. But it hasn't been taught to us and we haven't been given the permission to step into the leadership roles that I would say that we are born for. So the first reason why this is the case is because a woman's brain, the hard wiring of a woman's brain is actually very different than that of a man. A woman's brain is actually hardwired for leadership, and this is because of those two key hormones of our ovarian system, estrogen and progesterone. So in our brains as women, in the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the hypothalamus, we actually have high densities of receptors for estrogen and progesterone. Because of that, our brain functions very, very differently, and it even functions differently through all four phases of our hormone cycle. So when looking at the brain scans of women in the largest brain scan study that was ever done, 40,000 men and women's brains studied, Dr. Daniel Amen of Amen Clinics found that women's brains actually have more activity in 70 out of 80 brain areas uh, measured. And the most significant were in these three areas where we have densities of estrogen and, and progesterone receptors, the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the hypothalamus. Now, this is significant for leadership specifically because these three brain areas are involved with the aspects of leadership, decision-making, navigational ability, verbal acuity, the ability to learn and teach, and also emotional intelligence. So I was going to say, and we'll get to it in a little bit. And my understanding is in the other one with the MRIs of a million plus study globally, and the area of the brain that is affects consequence in your decision making. Consequence yes. is huge in decision yes. making. So please continue with what you were saying. Yeah, and that is a significant point about consequence. So when we're looking at the psychology of a woman, so a woman's mind, right? The We talked about the hardwiring, that physical construct, but when we're looking at our psychology, the mental construct of how a woman operates, we are wired to think for the collective. Now, this is because epigenetically passed down through generations of women who have taken on the role of caretaker in society. Since society began, women have taken on these roles, and that has solidified within our psyche the ability to think for the collective. And actually, women, I would say, are incapable of making truly um, selfish decisions because they are always in careful consideration about the collective consequence of the decisions that they make. So even when you're thinking about how you make decisions and when I think about how I make decisions, I'm always in careful consideration of how what I do will impact others. 
Now, this can be a little bit of a limitation in feminine leadership because that can cause us to be um, a little standoffish when it comes to asking for what we want and need. Um, however, this is actually our superpower as leaders because we can be trusted as women to make good decisions for the collective and always be in consideration about how our decisions will impact the broader society. It's interesting because as we are starting to look at what's emerging culturally um, for a variety of reasons, what we have is now a, an entertainment narrative anyway, where the women are the badasses. We're yeah. now the heroines. We're the ones that don't take consequence into consideration and will run into the bayonets and all the films. That's what's going on. And that, that's a message that's being relayed to the young girls growing up right now. Are, is this because we are in some sort of evolutionary shift or is this something being foisted upon society? How do you perceive that? Um, I think that's more of a societal construct, um, which does impact our actual hardwiring, our, our physical construct and our mental construct is influenced by society. It's influenced by our environment. And we know this through the field of science called epigenetics. We know that our environment does impact the way that we operate and how our biology functions. However, I do believe that this is more of a, um, a want of society. Um, we want women to step into the leadership roles that they are born for. However, we don't fully understand the scientific background of how that all works and what we would actually need to do to be able to support women properly to be in those leadership roles that they're born to be in. So let me ask you, in an ideal world, with the knowledge that you have, I mean, obviously, this is going to take time, a great deal of education. How would you structure life on earth that allowed the women to come forward and take the rightful place? Because honestly, if we're going to have militaries around the world, women should be in some of the top leadership capacities, no doubt about it. Uh, same thing in the corporate world, in the political world, policymaking uh, far too few women at the table in these things that impact life at large, that impact massive budgets around the world. These are mostly driven by men. So yeah. how would you construct it so we get a more balanced, a more balanced way of decision making globally and personally uh, for a healthier outcome for society? Yeah. So to illustrate this, I'll just talk about a microcosm of my own experience in the corporate world. So I spent several years working for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and I was a health scientist, which there aren't as many of those um, at CDC as we hope to have. Um, however, interestingly, women represent most of the leadership roles in the health sector in general. So we're looking at a sector where potentially they're doing it right. However, what we see is that these women in these leadership roles are burning out at alarming rates. 
And that's because even though they are majority in leadership, they are trying to behave and function like their male counterparts because there's a lack of understanding of how our biology and how our neurology works and how it ebbs and flows throughout the month, which is something that we can actually leverage to become great leaders. Now, when we look at society at large, of course, these statistics do not represent what's happening. We don't see women in leadership roles. As you mentioned, about 18% of women are in leadership roles, and that includes C-suite, that includes managers and supervisor positions um, within the corporate world in general. And this is, again, because women are typically burning out before they get to reach their full potential in business because their bodies are not being supported properly. Now, the silver lining with all of this is that right now in the world, there is the greatest opportunity for change than we have ever had in history. And this is because of the COVID experience. I know it seems like not a great thing, but actually it is such a great opportunity for global change and behavioral change, which is one of the hardest things to achieve. And this is because of a couple of reasons. When something happens that is shocking or traumatic, the human brain changes. And what happens is a couple of things. One is that neuroplasticity, so the moldability of the human brain, those neural pathways that are associated with behaviors, heightens. So that means that our ability to change our behaviors is easier and faster now than it has ever been in the past globally because we are all experiencing this at the same time. Yes, and what's interest what's also interesting about that when you have trauma and this kind of neuroplasticity, it's also the time on the flip side when people are most easily programmed. Yes, that is true. So we can succumb we can succumb to whatever kind of campaign is being used to mold a, a shape opinion and consensus. Yes. So let's talk about how those two go together. Yes. So this can be leveraged for good or for evil. Um, And I guess it depends on what your perspective is. But I do believe that the powers that be that are out there, they're very smart and they understand that this experience has been a great opportunity to change the political agenda, to get people to think and operate differently. And I've seen a lot of ways that this is manifested in a negative manner for society and ways that this is manifested in a positive way. Um, I'm an eternal optimist, so I always like to focus on the positive. And I think even how you and I are communicating now through Zoom, which wasn't typical even a couple of years ago, has now become the norm, which has allowed people more flexibility in their schedules, in their time management, and how they're able to connect and influence globally. So I think that this can be used as a great opportunity to change the hearts and minds of people around the world by giving them the evidence base, the science behind why women are such great leaders and how we can start to empower women to step into those roles. 
So let's talk about what's happened on the ground, looking at the stats, looking at the economic stats as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Certainly in the United States, we're going through something called a period called the Great Resignation. And it doesn't mean we're resigning to something. It means we're resigning uh, our jobs that are no longer serving, that are menial, that are not, we're not being paid well enough. Um, this We're rejecting the things that don't work, which speaks to what you're saying. What I'd like to know is, do you have any stats on that in terms of the percentages of people that are um, quitting their jobs and just choosing to do life differently? What percentage of that is women? Yeah, these statistics are probably the most alarming thing that we really need to pay attention to in society if we want to change the standard, if we want to make changes where women are healthier, happier, and in these leadership roles. Because even just last year, we saw the largest mass exodus of women from the workforce that we have ever seen historically. 5 million just last year. Now that is double the amount of men who left last year. As you mentioned, we're seeing the largest mass exodus in general, especially in the United States, but women are double that of men who are resigning. So women are disproportionately impacted by this experience with COVID and by this economic uproar. And isn't this mostly because we still are, we may be in uh, entrepreneurs, we may be have a role in a corporation, but we're still mothers, we're still often at the center of the household, still have to keep all that rolling. And COVID uh, really kind of, as schools closed and uh, daycare wasn't available any longer, it changed all that. I mean, it seems it was very practical reason why women left the workforce, but now schools are back open again and women are still leaving. What's going on? Yeah, so we're on track to match or even worsen those statistics this year, which is still extremely alarming. My guess is by the end of this year, we will see three times as many women leaving the workforce this year than men. And this. What do you, Kayla, what do you attribute that to if we do now have daycare, if schools are now open? Yes. Because women had a chance for the last couple of years to actually work at their own pace. And they're realizing that the constructs and the schedules, the environments and infrastructure of the corporate world really works against their biology. They may not understand that that's exactly what's going on, but they do understand that working at their own pace and working in partnership with their body, having a rhythm that works for them from home or at least having more flexibility in their schedule feels good. And there's a reason why that's the case. It's because our biology is in a cyclic rhythm. And we don't operate the same day in and day out. However, our corporations and our society is set up in such a way that the expectation is that we need to operate and perform exactly the same every day. Now, going back to the biorhythms, as we know, our male counterparts do have a repeating biorhythm and pretty much the same biological needs day in and day out. So that kind of system really works well for them, but it doesn't work well for us as women. 
I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. We're going to go to each end of the spectrum age-wise, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, you, among your peers, I don't know your age because you're so pretty and you look younger than your actual years, but um, I'm going to say probably a, maybe a, a millennial. Uh, are you in the millennial yes. category still? Yes. Okay. You're in the millennial category. And are you noticing this among your peers, that the women simply are not wanting to go back to the old way, first of all? Absolutely. And not only are they not wanting to, they're refusing to. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's because we're having this increased neuroplasticity. And so we're, we're understanding that changing these behaviors is not only possible because we've done it now, but it also feels better. It feels more aligned with our bodies and what we need. Okay. So now this is going to happen over time. This has to happen over time. It's critical that it ends up happening, that this is integrated into our understanding of how life works, how we women work and where our true power lies. So let's go to the teenage status. So you have girls that have these hormones fully kicked in. Uh, we know that from ourselves in childhood, uh, how challenging it is to even show up for school certain days of the month where you're feeling so terrible, you can't even think straight. How do we start integrating this on an educational level? And then after that, I'm going to have you go into what happens when women are postmenopausal. Yes, I love this question. And this is so near and dear to my heart, because I believe that our change is going to take a bottom up and a top down approach. Top down is going after the corporations and societal constructs, environments, infrastructures, and shifting them to support the women, the adult women who are already in those roles. The bottom up approach is, is um, educating our young women properly about their feminine biology. So if you can think back to sex ed in elementary school, um, I can remember what I was told is one, I'm going to start having a period. It's going to be really scary. I'm going to have blood. I'm not going to like it. Um, and I'm also going to potentially grow boobs and that the whole process is going to make me a little crazy. I remember that was the education that I got in sex ed. That's then, more than I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you know, I'm a little bit different by going through the higher educational system in the biological sciences my entire life, now in my doctoral program. And the scary part is not once in my educational career, have I ever taken a course that explained a woman's biology and biological rhythm is different than men's? How is that, that impossible? Here. You're in the world of science. How is that not possible? Okay. Well, we see how it's possible. Um, now, <laughs> yeah. let's tackle it from the ground up. What would be the ideal for girls during mm -hmm. their educational years as opposed to boys? How can we handle this without having literally segregated schools? 
Yes. So what young girls need to understand, and honestly, the males should get this education as well, because if any of the men that I hope are watching this have any kind of female counterpart in your life, a mother, sister, daughter, colleague, coworker, whatever it may be, if you have women in your life, it's going to behoove you to understand how a woman operates so that you can support them better. So teaching women about the four specific phases of their feminine biological rhythm and how that impacts their function, their health, their happiness, and their ability to lead is absolutely essential and vital for us to evolve as a society. And I think you and I can both agree that we need an evolution now more than we have ever needed it before. Exactly. So what do we do? Do the girls when they're feeling just totally punk and distracted and so low on energy, you can't think clearly and your belly aches, do you stay home from school? How is it, How does the system begin to accommodate for this in a very genuine way? I'm not mm-hmm. saying to, for girls to take advantage of the system. I'm saying genuinely. Yeah. So I do want to go into each of the four phases and what that means in terms of a woman's energy levels in terms of the way her brain functions and all of that. But really, it all comes down to one, education, because as a world, as a globe, we are not properly educated about a woman's biological function. So education is key to raise awareness to this problem. The second thing is providing flexibility. Now, that doesn't mean that girls get to have days off from school just because their energy is lower. However, it may require a change in how our classrooms are set up, in how breaks can be taken, in terms of hours of school operation, um, in terms of can assignments be due on a monthly rhythm? That way, women can decide when they have the right cognitive function to tackle those assignments and still get them completed on time. So I feel like there are so many creative ways that we can do this. And we'll probably see these shifts more in like the Montessori school system before we see it in our traditional educational system. Um, Unfortunately, the science is going to have to catch up. The scientific community is going to have to catch up and hopefully that will that will start to happen. So I do think that changes, little changes can be made. And then when it comes to a woman in her operation, an adult woman in her job, in her family unit, in her community, whatever role she has, there are different ways that we can take control and ownership of our biological rhythm, our physiology, and actually leverage the benefits to be more efficient and more effective and essentially get more done in less time if we're offered the flexibility to do so. What happens then when we're talking about menopause, women who are through the wild rushes, but still have the hormones? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens um, in menopause or through perimenopause and postmenopause is that a woman's 
ovarian system, the woman's ovarian hormones is passing on the baton from the ovarian hormones to the adrenal hormones. And so when that happens, a woman just doesn't automatically shift and become a man, right? We still have higher levels of estrogen and progesterone than our male counterparts. But what is anecdotally being uh, shown right now, the anecdotal evidence is that women, even after they go through that shift from the ovarian hormones to the adrenal hormones, taking on the leadership role of the biology, their biology has already been groomed for years and years and years into this month long system. And so the women who are postmenopausal now report still having a month, a monthly cycle, a month long system of when they have higher energy or lower energy, when their brain is a little more clear, when they have a little more brain fog, when their mood is more elevated, when their mood is lower. And this in my opinion, my theory is that women still experience a month-long rhythm because their physiology has been groomed for so many years to be on this month-long cycle, and it doesn't just stop like that. Now, the research needs to catch up on this significantly. There is absolutely no research that is exploring this. And there's actually no research that even acknowledges the female biorhythm as a complete comprehensive system. It's all in silos that has shown us that, yes, our ovarian hormones during our childbearing years do impact our greater physiology. However, the big picture is that our whole entire biological rhythm is in this month long system. Now, I would love to have a big cohort of thousands of postmenopausal women and study their physiological changes throughout the month, something that I hope to do in the near future, um, just to see what does that rhythm actually look like postmenopause. I wish you luck. I hope you get that together. I'm sure you will. <laughs> You've been doing some great work already. So this is really quite the conundrum. Here you have, as we talked about in the beginning, these natural leadership skills with so many parts of the brain uh, saturated in their functioning at a given time. And we already talked about how that shows itself. And at the same time, a body and being who is going through these waves of energy and the emotional body is connected to that as well. It's, it's really quite complex and it's quite a conundrum, but I know one thing is to sit at the table any longer where I've been in jobs where I'm the only woman at the mahogany table and have people just overlook you and your wisdom and what you have to say. And like, Okay, what did you have to say, Bob? <laughs> you know, those days have to end yeah. to have to be blocked on the, the wisdom and intelligence and creativity that we bring to the table. So again, I don't know. I, I, I maybe in summer you can tell us as say we're if we're a mother of young children, boys and girls, how do we start engineering it right now so that this can rise into something that is natural, a natural part of society? rather than everyone trying to bucket and point fingers at each other. Absolutely. The thing is that male leadership 
and or masculine leadership, we can call it, and feminine leadership are two different types of leadership because of what we talked about with the psychology and the neurology. Mm-hmm. However, we need both to thrive yes. as a society. Right now, we have male leadership way up here and feminine leadership is you know, not so far up on the list. However, if we can bring that up and the two can marry, we can really transform our society for the better. And this, I actually have a lot of hope because historically we have done this in the past. This is actually not new. The scientific community is just catching up to what we used to know back in ancient tribal times in a society where the male and the female work together in their leadership roles to thrive. So looking at ancient tribal cultures, a lot of them actually had a culture where the women of the tribe would all cycle at the same time. And this happened because back then we didn't have endocrine disruptors and all of these expectations that put us out of sync with our rhythm. And and interestingly, and I don't know what the evidence is for this scientifically, but women would typically sync up with the moon cycles at that time. And so all of the women of the tribe would actually be going through menstruation, which is only phase one of four of the female hormone cycle, all at the same time. Now, this was significant, and the tribes understood that this was a significant time, and they gathered all the women of the tribe who are cycling at the same time to gather and actually make the decisions for the next 28-day period for the tribe. Now, scientifically, we are just catching up to understand why that is. The tribes were a lot smarter than we even are with all these medical innovations and scientific innovations that we have now, but we're starting to understand why that was the case. So in phase one, menstruation, which again is only phase one of four, estrogen and progesterone are at their very lowest levels of the entire month. Now, when we look at the brain scans of women and what that means cognitively, it sounds like it might not be a great thing, but actually a woman's brain has higher cognitive empathy capacity during that specific time because of those low levels of those two hormones. Now, cognitive empathy is just a fancy scientific term for intuitive insight. So a woman's intuition is a real thing and we're starting to be able to measure it. And it's significantly heightened during that first phase. Now, the problem is that we as women are not leaning into this benefit and we're not actually even experiencing this benefit largely because we're ignoring our biological needs during that phase. So again, going back to that low level of estrogen and progesterone during phase one, what that means physiologically is that our cells generate less ATP during that time. So we have less energy. We also have a lower metabolic function during that time. 
And so our biology starts to kind of slow down. And this is so brilliantly designed. The female body is absolutely brilliant in the way that it's designed in this, in this monthly rhythm, because our body is telling us, slow down and go inward so that you can actually tap into this cognitive benefit happening. Makes sense. So, but we do the opposite. Instead of listening to those lower levels of energy, instead of slowing down with our metabolic function, we drink extra cups of coffee and we take all the kinds of smart drugs or supplements, vitamin B12, all of these things to push through. And when we do that, we don't get that cognitive benefit. Now, the cool part about this, yeah. And the cool part about this is that all four phases of our female hormone cycle have significant cognitive benefits and physiological changes that we must listen to in order to meet our biological needs. Can you do me a favor and just go through the other three kind of briefly so we get an idea yeah. of the strength of each of those phases? Yes, absolutely. We'll do a quick and dirty rundown. Yeah. So phase one, again, is menstruation. And typically, this is the only phase that most women are even aware that they have. That's when we're actively having a period, right? So going from phase one menstruation into phase two is the follicular phase. And I just have to mention a caveat that all four phases don't have their own perfect little box. However, the significant shifts do mark the, the shifts in the phases. So in the follicular phase, which is phase two of the female hormone cycle, the key player is estrogen. Estrogen is rising to a peak steadily throughout this phase. As estrogen rises, our energy levels rise, our ATP production rises, our metabolic function rises, and actually in our brains, we get more activity of the mood-boosting neurochemicals, neurotransmitters, as estrogen rises. So during this phase, what we see with our cognitive ability is a couple interesting things. One is that our emotional intelligence enhances steadily as estrogen rises. The other thing is that our navigational ability and ability to strategically think enhances as estrogen rises. So if you think about this as a woman in the corporate world or in the world of business, you can really start to leverage this. Phase one is your time for analysis. That's when you have that intuitive insight, and it's when you can shed the fat, so to speak, know where to, where to allocate your resources. Phase two, you can carry out those strategic plans. And because your emotional intelligence is rising throughout this phase, you can interact in a more productive way with your teams. You can delegate, and you can really leverage that ability to strategically and navigationally think. Ovulation is a very short phase, only one to three days, depending on the woman. And this is marked by the peak in estrogen, along with luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. And so the peak of these three hormones also marks the peak in our energy levels, 
marks the peak in our metabolic function. Also, our strength and endurance is higher during this time. So this is a really great time to really ramp up your exercise routines and it won't harm your biology to do so. And this is actually when we have greater charismatic influence. So in the world of business, this is when we should be doing our pitches. This is when we should be doing our strategic partnerships. This is when we should really leverage that ability, especially the women in leadership roles. Now, going from ovulation into the final phase, which is the luteal phase, this is actually my favorite phase of all because the key player, the star hormone in this phase is progesterone. Now, estrogen is coming back down the other side of the curve, and it is slowly decreasing throughout the luteal phase, which is the whole back half of our cycle. It's the longest phase of all. But what's happening is estrogen, or sorry, progesterone is rising to a peak during that phase. And as progesterone rises, it does some really cool stuff to our brains. One is that we get enhanced brain-derived neurotrophic factor. BDNF. Now this enhances both neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. So I actually call this phase the grow phase because our brain is literally growing. It's more moldable and plastic, but also we are generating new neurons at a higher rate during that phase than any other time. Now, the other interesting cognitive shift that happens within our brain is that we have um, enhanced verbal acuity during this phase. And that's in relation to, yes, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor and that neuroplasticity, but it also has to do with the enhanced ability for memory consolidation and enhanced activity of the GABA neurotransmitter, which helps us to get restful sleep. Now, to benefit from that cognitive uh, superpower, we can call it, during that phase of verbal acuity and the ability to learn and teach, is that we must get quality sleep during this phase. If not any other phase, this is when we really need to focus on quality sleep to get those benefits. This is absolutely fascinating because I don't think anyone watching this has really understood how our brains are operating during these cycles of our lives. I mean, you, as you said earlier, this is absolutely critical information we have to enfold into society at large and the functioning of society at large. A um, lot to think about. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you now, because you're young, uh, you're able to bring, like you said, indigenous culture together with the cutting edge science now and really look at where we are. And I'm very impressed with it. I think this is personally, I think this is need to know information. Every mother should know it. Everyone should understand this about their girls. They should understand about their boys and their cycles. And I agree. This is a collaboration between the two, a dance between the two that well, keeps us procreating and keeps life moving on. So any final thoughts on this uh, before we say goodbye? There's a lot to chew on right here. Yeah, I know that this is so much information to really wrap your brain around. And it's something that I just love to talk about. There's so much more to unfold as well. But for any of the men and women listening, I think 
we really need to understand that the women of this world are our greatest untapped resource to evolve society forward. All we have to do is simply, one, understand their biological functions and needs and support them so that they can thrive and be the leaders that they're born to be. So if you have daughters, especially, please teach them about the four phases of their cycle and start tracking. It starts with self-awareness, listening to our bodies, learning how they function, and trusting that our body is so brilliant and it knows exactly what it's doing. We just have to trust it. Indeed. Thank you so much. Um, Kayla, can you tell us how anyone can reach you or follow some of your work? Is there a way to reach out to you at this time? Where will we find you? Yes. One great place is on Instagram. My handle is at biocurious underscore Kayla. And then if you want to learn more about the female cycles and biological rhythms and how this impacts our functioning, go to her biorhythm.com. Very good. Kayla, thank you so much. I know you have an incredibly bright future ahead of you. And I really appreciate the depth of um, knowledge, knowledge and wisdom you've given us today. So now it's up to us, know thyself and then implement it uh, in our families, in our corporations, in our governments and so forth. Thank you again, Kayla. Thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. (laughs) Okay, everybody. That was, wow. That's really mind-blowing to understand uh, the depth of what we're being confronted with right now as a society and the beauty of how we can actually start embracing it and bringing the whole game up for the planet, for all of us. So again, it's biocurious underscore Kayla at Instagram. You can go there and take a peek and go on from there. Until next time, thank you for joining us here at reginameredith.com.